The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Hey, good afternoon everybody and welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is your guest host today, Jonathan Rufier. And today we are talking about uh, effective ingredients for quality care. And uh, we're really pleased to have a guest today who's got a lot of experience in the treatment industry. His name is Nicholas Lessa, and Nicholas has been managing high-quality outpatient treatment centers for substance use disorders in New York since 1991. Um, Nick is the CEO and partner of Intercare uh, Limited, which has outpatient treatment programs in Midtown Manhattan, New York, as well as Westchester. And Nick is a licensed clinical social worker, a master's level psychologist, and a credentialed alcohol and substance use counselor. He's the lead author of two books, The Wiley Concise Guides to Mental Health, Substance Use Disorders, and Living with Alcoholism and Drug Addiction. And Nick is an associate adjunct professor at New York University's Silver School of Social Work and Adelphi University's School of Social Work as well. Uh, you know, in today's environment, with so much attention being paid to the need for treatment for substance use disorders in particular, I think uh, folks out there in the general public are probably wondering, you know, what is, you know, what is treatment about and how do I access it and how do I know if what I'm getting is is really the right thing. So we're pleased to have Nick uh, on board with us today to help us understand that. And uh, without any further ado, I want to welcome you, Nick, to the show. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. Sure. Well, uh, you know, we're really grateful to have you and, um, you know, just... Uh, uh, be able to benefit from your experience. And just as we kind of get started, um, you know, love to hear a little bit about what's got you started in the field and, and, you know, what your focus is today. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Okay. Well, I mean, what got me into the field? I just received a master's degree in psychology in 1981 and was looking for work and was offered my first job in the substance abuse field. And uh, I loved it. I found it rewarding work, and I never left it. And uh, about 10 years into the process, I said, you know, I want to continue in this field, but, but how do you make a living doing this? <laughs> so right. I decided to uh, open up my first outpatient program uh, in Manhattan in 1991 and uh, eventually merged my outpatient program with uh, Intercare in 2001 and I've been with them ever since, and we have since expanded our services and locations since that point. So uh, I think basically uh, doing it as long as me running outpatient programs for over 20 years, uh, I think I've made every mistake possible so that uh, now I've learned what, what, what you can do that's effective after all of the mistakes. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think there's a lot of... Uh... There are a lot of mistakes to go around in our field, Nick, and, and you know, if, I think if any one of us had the answer, uh, 
you know, it, it would be it would be a great day. But you know, we're all learning all the time about you know what works and what doesn't work and how to help people. And um, you know, that's why it's great to be able to provide education to the public about what is working and and what they should be looking for. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So you started an outpatient program, and certainly you've learned a lot about, um, you know, and, and again, just, just for our general audience out there, you know, there are different types of treatments available, All you know, anything ranging from online uh, coaching to, you know, full inpatient, um, 24 hours, seven days a week, uh, medically monitored care for people with substance use disorders, and outpatient kind of covers quite a range, isn't that right, Nick? Yeah, I mean, it could be anywhere from nowadays people are actually doing even detox on an outpatient basis, so you don't have to be in a hospital setting even to, uh, you know, get off of any substance that you're physically addicted to, to intensive outpatient, to even once a week outpatient. So uh, there's quite a range on an outpatient basis. And, I, you know, in my work as, as in outpatient care, uh, I'm very partial to this uh, level of care because I truly believe that we get to see on a daily basis who's making it and who's not and what are the uh, uh, the vulnerabilities for people uh, living back in their environment. The fact that people are back in their environment allows us to see their triggers and high-risk situations that may lead them uh, to use substances, whereas when you're in an inpatient facility, a controlled environment, uh, it's often hard to see uh, what are the, you know, the pitfalls in terms of one's uh, recovery plan. So uh, I really believe that if you're making it on an outpatient basis, uh, you are making it. Well, I think that's a really great point. And I know it's, you know, particularly when somebody's really in the throes of their addiction, um, the people in there, you know, that are, that are caring for them want to know that, okay, they're going to be safe. And, um, you know, sort of approaching things from the standpoint of outpatient treatment, I, I think leaves a lot of questions sometimes for people. And, uh, but, but certainly there are effective strategies for working with somebody who's, who's either not willing to or unable to or, or doesn't require the level of, you know, inpatient treatment care or residential care. Um, you know, that can, be, that can be just as effective. Yes, well, obviously some people do need to be stabilized in an, outpa- uh, in, in an inpatient facility prior to going to outpatient uh, just because they need a little time away from uh, what, what those triggers might be. So it, they might just need the time to build some momentum of sobriety before they can get started on an outpatient basis. So I'm certainly not uh, saying that there isn't times when inpatient is needed. Right. Right, but but somebody who is ready for outpatient care can uh, can experience, you know, again with the care is really good, you know, and it's and it's well planned can experience uh, uh, a lot of support that way. Yes, absolutely. All right. So you know, in general, what are some of the what are some of the strategies that work in outpatient treatment? Well, I think the most important uh, strategy or ingredient is. Uh, to go to a facility with compassionate care. And when I, when I use the term compassionate care, I'm talking about a staff who puts the needs of their clients uh, first and foremost. Uh, what is in the best interest and the well-being of my client? 
And, you know, we sort of assume that everyone is following that. It, it just makes reasonable sense that that should be the way it's done. But, you know, I have found uh, throughout the years and heard so many stories from clients and some facilities where uh, the care was far from being compassionate. It seemed to be uh, more about uh, meeting the needs of of facilities rather than the facilities meeting the needs of the client. So I'm talking about compassion from the initial phone call into a facility, how is that handled, uh, to how you feel when you walk into a clinic, to how you're handled by your counselors and staff throughout your treatment episode. So I think that is absolutely the most important ingredient uh, to begin the process of looking for good care. Right. So, you know, you make an interesting point. You would, you would think that that would be the norm. Yeah. Or, you know, that, that's an expectation that sort of is a low-hanging fruit in, in the field. But, you know, what are some of the experiences that would suggest otherwise? Well, I think there are some facilities or even just some individuals in, uh, in facilities who are more interested in making their lives easier. Um, I don't have time for that right now. Uh, you know, come back tomorrow. Uh, you know, uh, I'm leaving now. Just that sort of attitude of uh, I don't have time, or uh, your 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 requests are just beyond what uh, I think is fair and reasonable. And um, I, I've heard too many stories about situations like that. Right. Right. Well, I think that's so. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, just to comment on that, I think that uh, unfortunately that that does happen, and um, you know, we I certainly had the experience of either trying to refer somebody somewhere and get halfway through the call, and somebody says, "Well, I can't talk any further because it's my lunch hour now." Yeah. <laughs> you know, like okay, yeah. that tells you something. That calls over right then and there. Or, uh, you know, someone is just jumps right into uh, telling you uh, what the costs are. Uh, if you make a call in, uh, you're in a desperate situation and you're looking for help and the person is more interested in uh, going over the fees with you and, and the costs rather than finding out, you know, what's going on with you? How can we help you? Right. And that's what it has to come down to is how can we help you? Right. Right. No, that's a great point. So what else, um, you know, in terms of general strategies? Uh, I think another important point is that the treatment is individualized to the particular client's needs. You know, again, treatment should be based upon uh, individualized care, not on uh, program-oriented care, but consumer-oriented care. Uh, What are the needs of this individual in front of me? Uh, Not this is our program and this is what you're going to have to do. So, and you know, I think just about everyone believes that they're individualized. I hear that all the time, providing individualized care. But that is a very misleading statement. Uh, when you go into a facility and see that uh, everyone's program is the same, uh, there are only rigid ways of treating it, uh, durations are, are the exact same length of stay for every individual. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is not individualized care. Uh, maybe... Uh, someone is requesting more individual work than group work, and the facility is saying, no, that's not the way we do it here. 
So uh, individualized care is, is really, really an important uh, element. If I've learned anything in my 30-some-odd years of doing this work is that there is no one reason why people develop substance use disorders. There are a variety of reasons why people abuse substances, and it's our job to understand what is going on uniquely for this individual and how can we treat this person uniquely in order to get them well. Right. Do you think that a lot of places are just feeling really, you know, constrained in their ability to do that because of either whatever resources are, are, you know, providing the support for the care or uh, just the, you know, the drive to have things more and more managed? You know, I think there are financial uh, reasons for it, Uh, but I also think it just makes uh, a program uh, easier to function when everything is being done the same way. But uh, I think if we're talking about effective treatment, uh, it should be more about, uh, again, how do we meet this person's needs? And sometimes it means that I can't provide you all of what you need, but I'm going to coordinate your care with some outside uh, providers who can provide some specialized pieces to what your needs are in conjunction with what we're doing. So it doesn't necessarily mean that I have to give it all, but it might mean that I will have to coordinate the different elements that might be spread around town. Right. You know, and I'm glad to hear you say that because I think there are some providers out there who are, you know, they're trying to be all things to all people. And I, and I think that, you know, as you're alluding to, situations are a lot more complex uh, than any one person or provider can really address entirely. And, you know, it's a, uh, it's a team effort, right? And yeah. um, sometimes that team is, you know, multiple people within the same organization, and sometimes that team is multiple organizations coming together to, uh, to meet the needs. Absolutely correct, yes. Yeah. You know, even the National Institute on Drug Abuse said that there's no single treatment that's appropriate for everyone, and that is absolutely the truth. There's no one way of doing it uh, that's going to work for everyone, and we have to find out what somebody's willing to do and what we believe from our own education and experience, what we believe may help this particular individual in front of us. Right. No, you've got that right. And, you know, when we come back after the break, we'll talk about, um, you know, what people should look for in terms of, you know, what's, what's the right way to gather that information so that you understand what, person, what a person's needs are and whether or not, uh, you know, the help that you're offering is going to be the right one for somebody. So we're going to be back after about a two-minute commercial break. And to all our listeners out there, we look forward to having you right back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned 
common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black and Dari Samia. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. We are bombarded daily with information about beauty products and anti-aging treatments. Do you know how they have been tested? Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. We'll bring you the top-rated skincare products and treatments tested by Real Transformation Skin Care Centers. We'll motivate you to make the best changes. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruth here, and I'm... Uh, happy to be joined today by Nick Lessa, who's been uh, helping to manage high-quality outpatient treatment centers in New York since '91. And we're talking today about outpatient substance abuse treatment and looking at what the infect- effective ingredients are for quality care. You know, um, you know, when somebody makes a decision that they need help, or somebody has a family member uh, that they're concerned about, and they finally are able to get to convince somebody to make a phone call or or stop in and, and meet somebody at a treatment center. You know, that takes a lot of courage, and um, you know, it's not easy to ask for help. So you know, for people who are coming in to an outpatient setting, or, or any, any setting really, but uh, you know, in, in this case an outpatient setting, Nick, what are some of the things that, uh, that really make it uh, accessible and make it you know, uh, an experience that really somebody feels helped and that there's some hope for them. Okay, well, I think it begins with just the handling of that initial call to the facility. As you said, Jonathan, it it takes a lot of courage to make that initial call, and uh, it may be one of the hardest steps of all in terms of helping somebody get well is just even taking that first step, that first action step to getting well. So so that call is, is, is frightening, uh, it is often shame-based, and so it, it, who handles that call is very important. And, you know, it, it runs the gamut in terms of who's an, handling that call in terms of the facilities, uh, from an experienced individual who shows the compassion when they pick up that phone and, and asks how can we help you and spends the time with you, uh, to people who are very unprofessional in the way they handle that first phone call. Uh, some people could even be even rude on the phone. Uh, 
they can be uh, sort of uh, brusque and and uh, trying to collect information in a very uh, impersonal manner that can be a turnoff. So it begins on that initial call, and I I really believe that. Uh, I train my staff to know that that call is very important and how it's handled is very important. And we have uh, a very experienced person handling that initial call because it could be the difference between someone uh, coming for help or not. Uh, If they don't have a good experience just handling that call, uh, we may never see them beyond that call. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that's really a great point about experience and being able to handle that call. And, um, you know, there's, and again, like we've said about other things, you know, there's a variety of, of methods that people use to staff their admissions or their intake calls. Some places use offshore um, call centers. You know, some places use uh, hired, you know, master's level clinicians. Some, you know, places use uh, interns. So, you know, but, you know, to your point, it sounds like it's really, uh, you know, obviously, that when somebody's reaching out for help, they want to know that somebody, somebody there can hear it, and they can respond to it in a way that isn't just about, you know, seeing if there's a good fit, and if not, you know, try the next door, right? Yes, and to be able to answer questions, people have immediate questions that need answers, and the person needs to be able to answer those questions quickly, and not have to say, uh, "Let me get back to you on that." Uh, someone that could start putting someone at ease that, hey, this sounds like a place that cares and uh, uh, somewhere that I may feel comfortable. Right. Right. Well, that that helps to establish that initial connection. Yes. That that initial connection is very important. And and then from that call, it's, it's how quickly can you get the initial appointment to come in? Uh, so that, to me, leads right after that uh, phone call uh, because uh, we look at this as a window of opportunity. You know, people are very ambivalent about getting help, especially the first time they're coming in for treatment. So part of them knows it's time, but part of them is scared and reluctant to follow through. So uh, just making that call is an opportunity that we have to take advantage of quickly. So if we start telling someone uh, we could see you, you know, two weeks from Tuesday, uh, we may never see that individual again. So can we get that person in the next day, even the same day, uh, is, is really important to connecting them uh, to good care. Right. You know, what, and one thing I think it's hard sometimes to get across to people, you know, if they're not, Either they're new to the field or they just, you know, maybe they've been, uh, you know, out of direct care for a while. With substance use disorders, you're talking life and death, you know, on that phone call. I mean, these are, you know, yep. people are dying every day of, uh, you know, opioid uh, overdoses. And, you know, they're getting, they're, they're being put in vulnerable positions. And, you know, they're, so there, and that the whole mentality of saying, you know, hey, I wish I could help you, but we don't really have any time until three weeks from now. Mm-hmm. That's a crime, you know, in a lot yeah. of ways. And it I understand is. it's also a resource issue, but, but, uh, yeah, that um, you make a great point about that that responsiveness and being able to say to somebody, hey, look, you know, we can't we can't be putting this off for a long period of time. No, no, it is serious, and again. 
the person is still ambivalent, and we don't want them uh, running away uh, after. And some of them are looking for excuses not to come in. And if you're going to give it to them by saying you come in in two weeks or be rude to them on the phone, uh, sometimes that's all you need to move their ambivalence in the wrong direction. And <laughs> we may not ever yeah. see them come back again. Yeah, that's a great point. So I think following getting the appointment, uh, the next step is uh, who is going to see them for that initial uh, intake appointment, assessment appointment. And again, uh, I believe it should be an experienced professional uh, where in a lot of places, as you mentioned earlier, uh, the first person who meets with the individual is often uh, an intern or an inexperienced individual. So I think uh, for the best care possible, an experienced person who could uh, work through someone's ambivalence, who is experienced at engaging people into the treatment process, who can answer questions about the treatment process, uh, who can identify what the real issues are and what the problems are unique to this individual. Uh, this is all very, very important information, and I believe that uh, for good effective treatment to occur, it has to begin with a very thorough and effective assessment. So I believe a professional, a, a very experienced professional is needed for that first appointment. Right. Right. Well, there's a lot of information to gather to really get a, you know, a good handle on what person's needs are and what, what they're facing in terms of risk. And um, as we know, you know, this is not, uh, this isn't the kind of illness I mean, any illness, really. You know, it's hard for people who are experiencing the illness to report things accurately. Uh, but right. there's so much shame and guilt uh, and trouble associated with, with substance use disorders that um, it's even that much more important to be able to really get to the underlying um, situation. And that takes experience to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So... No, go ahead. Yeah. So... so you know, the, now the person is, has come into the clinic, and uh, how is the person greeted as they come into the clinic? Uh, are they welcomed? Are they treated like a number? Uh, are they ignored? Uh, do they wait an excessively long time to see someone? Uh, what's the general feel as they walk into the facility? Does it feel like a warm environment? Uh, or, or are the clients who you see in the waiting area seemingly happy uh, or are they angry and frustrated? Uh, so the general sense, just walking into a facility means a lot. And, you know, I've taken a lot of pride in uh, making sure that that first uh, entrance of our clinic is, is a warm one. And I, I get compliments all of the time from people just walking in about what a good feel they have uh, when they walk into our facility. Uh, and that means a lot. Somebody who, who walks into a frenetic or unwelcoming environment may just turn around and walk right back out. So it means a lot that people feel comfortable when they come in. Right. You know, our, our executive director is often you know, quoted as saying, look, you, gotta, you have to paint your walls anyway. Why do you have to paint them all the same color? <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, there's so, there's so much to be said for just, you know, uh, um, you know, making, having 
you know, thinking about things from the experience of another person, right? And it's the experience of the person who needs help. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, being able to reach somebody, being able to say, you know, what would I want for myself or my family member, you know? Of course. Uh, yeah. You know, when I walked into a place. So, um, yeah, so you really make a good point about not just intake, but, you know, the relationship. How does it start? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And what are you communicating through your, your tone of voice and your... And the way your facility looks. Even your receptionist, even training your receptionist to be warm and welcoming is so important. Uh, We may even take those people for granted, but they are an essential ingredient in the overall process, right from a smiling face when you walk in. So from that point, hopefully when you meet uh, whoever is going to be doing an intake with you, uh, I would think that, uh, that intake appointment should be tailored to identifying uh, the individual's particular problems and, and areas needing attention. Uh, it shouldn't just be uh, a generalized uh, fill out and sign these forms, but let's try to understand what's been going on for you and so we can figure out how to uh, develop a tailor-made program for you. I think that's also an important ingredient here is how is the uh, initial appointment handled, uh, or has the has your treatment program already been developed before you even sat down, or is it being developed after the person's hearing from you to determine what your needs are? So I think that's important as well, is that the treatment be individualized right from that initial uh, intake appointment. Right. right. So you're not getting a rubber stamp, you know, here's a boilerplate, uh, treatment plan, <clears throat> you know, it's nice to meet you, Mr. Jones, but, you know, and here's what you'll be doing for the next six weeks. Um, That's right. Really looking at, you know, what's going to work. So, um, exactly. you know, really, a, there's a lot to be thinking about uh, that, you know, a lot of elements that make a, a treatment program successful. Uh, and that it, it, by successful, I mean, you know, really uh, being helpful to the people that it's serving and when we come back from the break, we'll talk a little bit about the people involved in the organization or in the process uh, of helping others and, you know, how to, how to put together the right team and, and uh, you know, how to help them understand their role and everything. So uh, we'll be back after another break here. Um, uh, again, this is Jonathan Ruth here from One Hour at a Time. We'll be back in about two minutes. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting. 
some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. And good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruthier. And today we're talking about outpatient substance abuse treatment. In particular, we're looking at what are the effective ingredients for quality care. And our guest is Nick Lessa, who's uh, been working in the field for a number of years and um, is the, um, he's a licensed clinical social worker, a master's level psychologist, and a credentialed alcohol and substance abuse counselor. Um, he's written, uh, he's the lead author in two, of two books. He's also an associate adjunct professor at New York University's Silver School of Social Work and Adelphi University School of Social Work. And, you know, as we were talking about um, outpatient treatment for substance abuse, um, we've been trying to, you know, help our listeners understand, you know, what to look for and uh, how to determine whether something is quality. And, you know, as we start to think about the experience that a, uh, you know, potential client or patient uh, who is in need of substance abuse treatment Maybe having, uh, you know, one of the things that they may not know is how to ask about the actual staff who are working with them. And you know, I know just you know, just from experience in other healthcare settings, uh, you know, when you're in need, you know, uh, sometimes the last thing you're thinking about is who do I go to? You know, what do I need to know about these people? Um, because you're just assuming and trusting that there's a healthcare system there that's based on sound principles, sound training uh, practices, and licensure, accreditation, oversight, et cetera. Uh, but that's not always the case, and um, sometimes we don't really start to ask for those things, ask about those things until we've had bad care. So, um, you know, so Nick, you know, when you think about what is uh, what makes quality care? What's an effective ingredient for quality care? Where does the the staffing fit into all that? Yes, I, staffing is the product of an agency. So uh, that is the main ingredient to make an effective program. Is is who is on staff? And so back to my initial point today was uh, first of all, I'm looking for compassionate uh, cl- clinicians. Uh, people who care about the work they're doing. Uh, I don't believe being in this field uh, for 
uh, a salary is what uh, is going to be effective, but people who who truly want to make a difference. So compassion is the most important ingredient in terms of uh, your clinical team uh, caring about doing a good job. I believe we could always teach them the skills, but uh, I can't teach people how to be compassionate and to really care about the people they're going to be treating. So that is first and foremost. But certainly... Uh, my own experience has been that uh, hiring licensed and credentialed people uh, is uh, makes certainly my life easier in terms of uh, uh, managing them and uh, supervising them. So I'm always looking for people who have put the legwork into getting proper education to do this work. I think that's very, very important. Right. So beginning there... Well, there's also, oh, go ahead, Jonathan. I was just going to say there are a lot of different components that you know that go into licensing. Uh, you know, and and I think it's important for people to understand that, like, you know, to get a license, you have to be certain other criteria first. So you've got to have you know a certain amount of specialized training, a certain number of years, a certain degree, and then supervised experience over a certain duration, depending on the license. So. Yes. That's right. You know, when I started in the field in 1981, there were very few uh, professional uh, mental health workers uh, doing substance abuse treatment. It was mostly people who have actually graduated from programs that made them uh, uh, the counselors of that facility. That was the prerequisite to getting a job was to have completed the program yourself. So uh, it was really more of a paraprofessional uh, kind of uh, clinical team uh, when I began, and uh, there was a certain threat to have people like myself come into the field. Uh, I was told that, you know, what do you know about substance abuse treatment, you, you know, if you haven't been there yourself? And that's a good point. I mean, there, there's something to be said for that. Uh, so another piece of uh, staffing I think is important is, that, is to have a, a nice blend of both people uh, who have, uh, who are, uh, in recovery themselves and uh, staff members who are uh, profess- professionally trained and licensed and uh, uh, has have mental health uh, degrees behind them. So uh, I like to have a mixture of uh, both going on in, in my program, and it's it leads to a lot of multidisciplinary discussions and uh, on how to best approach a particular case, having different. Uh, perspectives on what to do. Well, I, th- I I would think too that that leads to a richer experience uh, in, for your client because you're getting the best of both worlds in some ways. That's right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, I I like to look for clinicians who have particular specializations. As we try to individualize everybody's care. Uh, there's going to be a whole variety of different needs by our clients. So uh, if I can get one clinician who is trained in, uh, say, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, trying to work on their thinking patterns and their behavioral patterns and looking at those uh, for others uh, who may need more trauma work, who have been traumatized and have been medicating that trauma by with substances, uh, I may want someone... Uh, trained in more trauma work, uh, maybe another clinician trained in what we call motivational interviewing, which is helping to motivate the person who is not sure 
uh, that they want to stop using. And so I think that having a variety of uh, clinicians with individualized specializations enriches the overall team and gives you a lot more latitude in, in the uh, different variety of people you can help effectively. Right. You know, it's an interesting time in, um, in medicine and in healthcare uh, and certainly in behavioral health when it comes to uh, outcomes and, you know, having more and more tools available for people to look up different providers and say, who's giving me, who's, who's got the best surgical outcomes, you know, for example, for a knee replacement? Um, mm-hmm. you know, who's got the best, uh, best outcomes for post-op infection rates or, you know, for this type of surgery? You know, is there anything like that for behavioral health? Yeah, I, we are becoming more specialized as well. It's amazing how we're evolving over time, and, and we're starting to see that even treating substance use disorders is not uh, a one-stop shop. It's, uh, there are a variety of complex issues going on, and because it's such a complex um, disorder, uh, there are multiple uh, issues that need to be addressed, and not everyone can handle every single one of those issues. So if we could begin uh, specializing uh, in terms of pieces of the puzzle and all of us taking elements of it, I think we have a, a greater chance of, of really having a, a more successful outcome. Right. You know, if I'm a family member and I'm trying to find some place that, you know, um, let's say I have a teenage uh, son and, you know, I'm, I'm looking for somebody to help them out. What, what am I looking for? You know, um, yeah. and it could be that person. It could be I could be looking for help for an elderly parent or uh, uncle or aunt who mm-hmm. needs substance use treatment. Yeah, I think programs now are becoming more focused on treating different age populations. I think the issues of a young adult or an adolescent are different than uh, an older adult uh, in terms of the issues and 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 what. Uh, substances, what role substances play in their life and even in their social life. Uh, and now we have a geriatric population that's growing and are abusing more prescription medications and alcohol in isolation at home. And so their issues become uh, different as well. And they may have bereavement issues of losing a loved one and now have no companions other than a bottle of vodka. So those issues are very different from an adolescence issue. So I think we're beginning to even segregate our populations by age and and, uh, what more of of their common uh, issues are so that they can relate to each other more effectively. Right. Well, it certainly seems like there's, you know, um, I mean, we talk about staffing to make sure that you know, people's needs are met, and it's really all—it it all comes down to understanding what those needs are and what it takes to help somebody with each of those needs, and uh, and make sure there's a good match. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now, another point around staffing, and this may be more difficult for uh, someone that's been shopping around, but what is the turnover rate of staff at a facility? It says a lot about the management of a company, if staff are constantly uh, leaving uh, regularly and you can't seem to, you know, have the same counselor for very long while you're in a treatment program. So uh, I'm not really sure how 
uh, an individual would get that information other than asking directly, but uh, it's important to know maybe just asking counselors uh, how long have they worked at the agency. Uh, It might be uh, one way of, of trying to get a sense of, you know, is there stability in this facility? Are people happy to work here? Those are great questions, I think, you know, and, and armed with those kinds of, you know, questions and, and getting the responses to them really helps the consumer, you know, be more informed about potential risks or, or you know, uh, or the upside of, you know, working with a particular provider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. And, I, you know, and I think it's, you know, one, one trend that we have, I think, in our field is, you know, when it comes to staffing, and this is a big challenge, is that there's more need than there are trained uh, and competent uh, providers out there, you know, particularly that have any medical training. So, you know, how do, you know, how do organizations manage that and still, uh, you know, find ways to meet their, the needs of their clientele? Um, it's, it's a huge question, and I don't know if anybody's got an answer, but uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I really think that they need to want that education and uh, uh, people have to be interested in uh, going for more help. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely uh, a big challenge right now in our field. So, yeah. Great. I also um, think that... Yeah, go ahead, Jonathan. No, go ahead. I, I just think that also clinicians should be receiving ongoing supervision, and I think it's important to get a sense of are the staff being supervised and are they going for further education? Are they interested in getting further education? Are they interested in, in growing and developing as clinicians? And getting some sense of that is also important. Right, because that, well, that helps to, you know, that helps people to understand that, okay, there, there's a dedication to what's happening in the in the room. You know, and that's, a, and that's an interesting thing because a lot of times, you know, what happens in treatment, whether it's counseling or any, you know, mental health condition or substance use treatment, it's happening in the room between two people, you know, the process, the, the counseling process a lot of times uh, if it's individual. And, uh, you know, to know that somebody else is, you know, there to provide supervision and to be bouncing things off of people, um, is really a great indicator of quality. So um, we've covered a lot of ground so far, and when we come back after the next break, we're going to talk about, you know, what are the services that, uh, you know, you should be looking for, and, you know, what are the things that are, that are typically offered in a high-quality program, and uh, we'll be back in a couple minutes after the break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned 
common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. When a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer, it's probably the most frightening thing that's ever happened to her. Friends and family often don't know what to do for support, not to mention the patient herself. That's where Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio comes in. Join Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin, breast cancer survivors and advocates. They help by providing inspiration, information, and most of all, hope. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you know about Reiki? This method of healing can complement Western medicine as well as other alternative practices. Besides healing, it can have the additional effect of making you feel more positive about yourself and the world around you. By tuning into For the Love of Reiki with host Paula Vale, you'll find how Reiki can improve your health, bring balance into your life, and fill you with joy. For the Love of Reiki is broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. And good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Jonathan Ruthier, your guest host today. And our topic today has been outpatient substance abuse treatment, effective ingredients for quality care. We're talking with Nicholas Lessa uh, about the different elements that make up, um, you know, a quality organization or a quality substance abuse treatment provider. And, you know, as we, uh, you know, uh, enter our last segment here of the show, uh, Nick, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what are some of the service, the specific services, uh, you know, that people should be looking for in determining the quality of care uh, you know, when they're looking for outpatient treatment. Well, Jonathan, the good news is is that there's a lot of a new evidence-based treatment approaches in uh, uh, treating substance use disorders. Uh, I mentioned earlier uh, something called cognitive behavioral therapy, which has been found to be very effective in treating substance use disorders, and it has an offshoot something called dialectical behavioral therapy that seems to be growing, which is really teaching coping skills on how to regulate one's emotions and how to tolerate the stress more effectively. So that's being used more regularly. Uh, I also mentioned motivational interviewing, which is working through one's ambivalence about giving up the substances and strengthening their motivation to change. Uh, there are new trauma-focused treatments out there, uh, such as uh, something called EMDR, eye movement and desensitization reprocessing, big name, but found to be very effective in helping people work through uh, early childhood trauma. Uh, so, uh, And there are medicines now, there is more medicine being used or med- more medication being used for substance use disorders. It's called addiction medicines. Uh, from, from such medicines that could take away or help take away cravings 
to medications that block the effects of substances like opioids. So if you took a certain substance uh, called naltrexone, uh, it would block the effects of any opioids you would take subsequently. So I think it's just a, a wonderful uh, adjunct to our work to be able to block the euphoric effects of a substance. And, and that's uh, helped remarkably in, in terms of getting people over the hump of their cravings for using a substance. Uh, so we're using a combination of addiction medicine and uh, what we call psychosocial uh, approaches to, to treating people, both in group and in individual work. But it's, right. it's not just about the services. Uh, it's also giving people options. Uh, I think it's important that facilities provide options and those options to be brought uh, in a collaborative manner, Let, like let's figure this out together. Uh, we can do this, we can do A, or we can do B. Which one do you think might be uh, something you'd be more interested in trying initially? We could always change it if that doesn't work. But doing this in a collaborative manner is important. Uh, walking into a facility that tells you this is what you're going to do uh, is not what I think to be the most effective way of, of working with people uh, in terms of retention and show rate and overall success. Uh, can we uh, offer people a variety of options? Uh, variety in terms of intensity of care, how many times a week they'll be coming, how long they'll stay in treatment, uh, what services, and what hours of the day. So I believe that we have to offer a variety in all of these areas. Right. And yet, I mean, at the same time, it's important to not try to be all things to all people, but, you, but what, I think the point that you're making is, you know, hey, if, you, if you're just trying to tell people this is the only way we can do it, and it, there's a lot of it that, that doesn't work for folks, it's not going to be very engaging. And, I, you know, one of the things that, you know, uh, at least we, we try to share with people is, you know, when we're providing education is, you know, like around medicine sometimes, you know, the, the best medicine for you is the one that you're willing to take that, you know, that is in the, you know, targeting the range of symptoms that you're looking at um, because you'll be more motivated to stay with it and then we can work with, you know, with things from there. Uh, and, and the whole shared decision-making model, uh, you know, that's, that's really been shown to reduce um, mortality and breast cancer. You know, I mean, that's another great example of, you know, really being able to take a collaborative approach and say, let's, let's look at what the options are. So um, I, I just really support you on that point. Like, I think it's, it's really the way to go. Uh, yes. You want people to invest in it. You want people to be engaged in what they're doing and, and not that's feel like right. you know, they just have to do this other thing. I mean, if we found any one variable that matters the most in terms of making treatment successful, it's people remaining in treatment. And I'm not talking about having to come, you know, every day of the week for months or years. I'm talking about even being able to stay in treatment one day a week for a longer period of time uh, rather than uh, people dropping out. Uh, dropout rates are an indicator of, of uh, treatment maybe not being so successful, whereas long-term uh, continuation in some uh, monitoring and, and form of treatment seems to be uh, a, a very uh, effective predictor of long-term care and success. 
you know, I, I think the old model for treating substance use disorders was an acute care model that sort of we put people in a 28-day program and uh, we sent them on their way and they should be okay from that point on. And we've learned now that this is a chronic, this is a chronic disorder uh, and it's going to be with people a long time and so uh, we have to treat this long-term as well. And again, even if it means that once a month in terms of meeting with a professional, uh, uh, just to touch base and make sure you're not veering off course uh, I think is much more important than trying to get it all in in a very short period of time. That's right. Well, you know, Nick, I, I, I completely agree with you, and I think, you know, um, one of the things that we've really, uh, that can, we, we could really take away from today's show is that it's really about the relationship. And, uh, you know, thank you very much for, for coming on the show today to, you know, help people understand what goes into quality and, and what is, you know, what are the driving factors behind, you know, behind a successful treatment relationship. Um, where can people find out more information about the work you're doing or uh, copies of the books that you've been... Sure. Writing? They can go to my website at www.inter-care.com. Dot com. That's intercare with a dash between inter and care dot com. Or call us at 212-532-0303. That's 212-532-0303. And I want to thank you, Jonathan, for allowing me the opportunity to be on the show. Well, you're very welcome. And I want to extend that thanks to our listeners for, uh, for joining us again today. Uh, on one hour at a time, and Nick, thank you for um, for sharing your expertise with us. We look forward to having you all back uh, another week from now, Monday, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Health and Wellness Channel for Voice America. This is Jonathan Ruth here, signing out for one hour at a time. We appreciate you joining us today for One Hour at a Time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.